Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. First Samuel chapter 17. It tells us a story that is a very, very fascinating story when it comes to the story of warfare. First Samuel chapter 17. Bible tells us that this is a story of asymmetric warfare. What it means by when two people are unequally, you know, uh, assigned. You know, that is a, they are not, they are not, they are not matched equally. Anybody who has spent any time in church would have heard the name David. Even if it's just one day. If you have come to church, you would have heard the name David. And this is a story about David and his asymmetric warfare with, uh, with uh, a guy called Goliath. The Bible tells us that the army of Israel, they were about to go into battle with the army of the Philistines. And somebody had this bright idea that instead of fighting, instead of the two armies fighting each other, there will be too much calamity. Why don't we just pick one person from the army of the, of the, of the Philistines and one person from the army of, uh, of the Israelites and let those two people fight? So that by the time they fight, whoever wins will be the winner. Whoever wins, if the army, if the, if the champion of the Philistines is the one that wins, then the Philistines will rule over Israel. And if the champion of the Israelites win, they will rule over the Philistines. This sounded like a very good idea. At least they will not be killing so many people. We only need two people to fight for each other. That was what the, that was the idea behind it. Now, the problem with this particular idea is that nobody wanted to fight the giant from the Philistines. Because this guy, if you read the Bible, the Bible described him as this guy was not just big, he was huge. They said the javelin, the arrow on his hand is like a weaver's beam. The guy is so big. The guy, the, by the time the Bible described him, if you have to calculate, he's about nine feet tall. And nobody wanted to fight this guy. Bible says that this particular, for some reason, Israel was not able to respond to the challenge that this man gave to them. He says, send somebody. All I need is just one body, one person. Let that person fight me. If they defeat me, then you are good. If, they, if I defeat them, then you guys are in trouble. Now, and this challenge, this man will come every day and issue that challenge and nobody was able to respond. It's just like somebody coming into your house and keep messing with you. I keep telling you, if you think you are a man, come outside there, let me fight you. Come. And they keep doing it every day and nobody from that house came out. Until one day, the Bible told her that there was a young man called David. This man was, you know, this young boy was a shepherd. The father had a little bit of uh, some, some cattle and some sheep and some, uh, and some, and some herd. And David's responsibility was to take care of that sheep. Take care of the cattle of the, of the father's house. Until the father now said, okay, Saul, the king of Israel was going into war. And all his brothers went with Saul to that particular war. Bible now tells us that the father called David. He said, David, go and give food to your brothers who are at war. Let's pick up the story from verse number 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible says, and David left his supplies. That is the things that his father has given to him to take to his brother. He said, he left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper. 
ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. In other words, my brothers, my father has sent me to bring some supply unto you. He came to greet them. The Bible said that then as he talked with them, as he was having a conversation with his brothers, the Bible said that there was, there was the champion. That is the same Philistine who have been coming every day came out again. The Philistines of, the Philistine of God, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to the same word. In other words, he kept on telling them every day, your champion, send him to me. Let us fight. If I win, you guys are in trouble. If you win, that is fine. He said the same word. So David heard them. In other words, everybody, they were telling David, this is what David was hearing what this Philistine was saying. Verse number 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. In other words, as soon as the guy showed up, everybody ran away. As soon as the Goliath showed up, he was not even in their camp yet. He was just standing afar off. And they all ran away. They were dreadfully afraid. Look at verse number 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God? In other words, David was really pissed. As soon as he saw the guy, he said, who is this guy that can just come and insult my family? That can just come and insult the army of God? That can just come and talk rubbish about the things of God? He said, who is he? He said, what will you do for that person? How will you reward the guy who will deal with this rubbish man? That was basically what he was saying. And the Bible tells us in verse number 27. He said, the people answered him in this manner, saying, so it shall be done for the man who kills this particular guy. And if you continue to read that verse, or if you continue to read that chapter of the Bible, the Bible says that eventually they took David to the king. And they told, David, they told the king, they said, now here is a little boy who for some reason thinks that he can beat this guy. What will you do for him? Saul looked at him and said, oh boy, you are too young. Don't commit suicide. Eh? You are too young. Your father still have need of you. Eh? You probably need to go home and be doing what young men do. But, but, but David was insisting. Then Saul gave him his armor. He said, go and fight. The guy looked and said, no, let, no, let me fight. Eventually, we all know the story. David went. David fought. David conquered Goliath. Okay? We all know the story. Like I said, if you have ever been in church at any point in time, everybody, even people who are outside of the church, they know the story. Because it's a story of no classic example of asymmetric warfare. But if you look closely to this question, if you look closely in this particular story, the thing that I want you to understand is that prior to the arrival, before David arrived on the scene, why was it that nobody in the camp, nobody was willing to take up the challenge of Goliath? Why? Somebody is standing in front of your house. And he keeps insulting you, telling you to come and fight, telling you, calling you all sorts of names. And you know that this person is, an, you know, is, is, is somebody who is not even qualified to speak to you and nobody's answering. So why is it that before they became, nobody said anything? Why was nobody bold enough to take on Goliath? Why was it that David was the, David was the only person who was willing to respond to the challenge of David? Why? To the challenge of Goliath? Why? Why was it that David was the only one who was willing to accept the challenge of Goliath? I mean, if you, by the time David got to that particular camp, I want you to remember this. The situation of the camp was still the same. You understand? Goliath was still the same man. Okay? The situation was still the same. They were still standing in the same place. Goliath was still making the same noise. Goliath was still the same man. The Bible makes us understand that the army of Israel has not increased in size. The armies of the Philistines have not diminished. 
They were the same set of people, the same set of everything. They were hearing the same word. The situation was the same. Goliath was still the same person. In other words, nothing changed when David arrived. It was still the same set of people. Okay? Nothing had changed. But the question then is, if nothing had changed in the camp, if Goliath was still the same, if the situation was still the same, if David saw the same thing that everybody was seeing, hearing the same thing that the Goliath was saying, the question is, why was it that David agreed to fight and the others refused to fight? Why? It's same thing if you ask your question. People talk about that the economy is bad. They say that people are not moving forward. They say that uh, the, the things are not moving very forward. Uh, uh, people are not prospering. Yet some people are making money and some people are not making money. In the same economy. Why is it that the sun is shining? Okay? And you put two materials under that sun. One of them will melt the butter and the same sun will harden the clay. Why? Why is it that we look at the same thing, we experience the same condition, we are confronted with these circumstances, somebody gets a benefit from it, and another person does not get the benefit from it? Why? These are the questions that we are going to be dealing with throughout the course of the month of November. Okay? We are going to be looking at why David was the only one who was willing to accept that particular challenge. In less than 60 days, this year will be over. Another year will come in. The question that I want to have is that what kind of year are you expecting in the coming year? What kind of year do you want to have? What kind of things are you expecting to come your way in the new year? One thing I want you to understand is that how the, how is the coming year going to be different from the ones that you have had before or from the one that we are in right now? What is going to change about the new year? Why do I ask this question? I ask this question because the reality of life is that the coming year is not going to be any different from the years that you have had in the past. It's going to be the same thing. The next year that you are expecting is not going to be different. The sun is not going to shine any brighter. The moon is not going to come out earlier. Everything is still going to be the same. People are still going to be people. Okay? People will still remain people. They are still going to be doing the same thing that human beings do. Okay, politicians will still continue to tell lies and continue to promise you what they cannot offer. Okay, the economy will continue to go up and down depending on which direction you want it to go. Your sun will still come up at the set time and it will fall, it will set at the set time. You will continue to wake up early in the morning and go to work. You will continue to not like your boss or like your boss. The situation is going to remain the same. The promises of God is going to remain the same. The opportunities God presents to you is going to remain the same. In other words, life is going to go. Go on as usual. Whether this year or next year or five years from now or ten years from now, life is going to be the same. Okay? That's why the Bible tells us the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you read from verse number 9, the Bible tells us, it says, that which has been, what, uh, that, that, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. In other words, if you wake up tomorrow, the sun is still going to shine. Okay? If you wake up next year, the sun is still going to shine. If you go to Africa today, the sun is still the same thing. People are still the same thing. Nothing is changing. Nothing is going to change. The only thing that will change in the new year, or the only thing that may change for you in the new year, is the way you choose to respond to whatever comes across your way. That's the only thing that will change. 
The only thing that will change for you, the only thing that will change for your family, the only thing that will change in your place of work, the only thing that will change in the church is how you as an individual, how you as a family, how we as a church, how we respond to the things that confront us every day. Let me say it again. The only thing that is guaranteed to change in the new year is the way you choose to respond to the constant realities that will confront you in the new year. That's the only thing that will change. That's the only thing you have control over. Now, one of my favorite uh, motivational speaker is a guy called Jim Rohn. You see his picture up there. Okay? Jim Rohn is one of my favorite speakers because of the way he presents. Very simple, simple things he says. But one of the things that is simple that he says that I've always held on to is this. He says, if you will change, he says, everything will change for you. It looks very simple, but that is the reality. If you will change, everything will change for you. If you decide to change the way you pray, everything will change. If you decide to change the way you read the scripture, everything will change. If you decide to change the way you relate with people, everything will change. If you decide to change the way you look at the world, then look at relationship, look at the economy, look at your finances, look at the people around you, look at your boss, look at the people. Every If you decide to change something, everything changes. That is what this guy is saying, and that is what happened in the life of David, in the life of David. Because how far you will travel in life is a function of how you see life. Okay? How far you will go in life, how far you are going to go in the new year, how far you are going to go in the, you know, in the direction that God is taking you is a function of how you see life. How well you will do in this new year that is about to come is a function of what is going on inside of you. It doesn't matter what is happening out there. It doesn't matter if this place, if this particular roof open and money start falling down. I will have, I will like that very much. By the way, I would like if money falls down, but it doesn't change anything if inside of you nothing changes. We cannot travel very far if our heart is not willing to travel with us. How far you will go is as far as your mind is willing to go. If you think you can get there, you will get there. If you think you cannot get there, no matter who puts you in a car, you will not even get there. So that is why the Bible tells us, in the book of Proverbs chapter 23, reading from verse number 7, the Bible says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, what is going on inside your head, that is what is going to manifest physically. What is going on inside your spirit as a young man? If you look at a particular class and you say, I'm not going to pass this class, that is what is going to happen. If you look at it and say, yes, I will make it, then you will make it. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Okay? You are a product of what is happening inside your spirit, inside your mind. Whatever you are thinking, whatever is running through your head, that is the way you are going to react. If you look at this man, you say, this pastor doesn't like me. When you see me, that's the way you are going to react. But if you see him, I say, ah, this guy lost me. Anytime you see me, you react like that. If you see life the same way, you will react the way you see life. You are a product of your attitude towards life. You are that, that's, that's basically what it is. And in the book of 1st Samuel that we read reading from verse number 17, the Bible tells us we started to talk about David and his encounter with Goliath. And earlier I asked the question, I said, why was it that David was the only one willing to take on the challenge of Goliath? Why was it it was only David? After all, everyone was seeing the same thing. 
Everybody was looking at the same Goliath. Everybody was hearing the words that were coming out of the mouth of Goliath. Everybody was doing everything. But let me submit to you that David was, David was able to accept the challenge of Goliath because of the way David saw life. Because of the way David interpreted life. Because of the way David related to life. David accepted the challenge of the Goliath because he had a different attitude towards Goliath. Okay? David accepted the challenge because he had a different attitude he, towards Goliath. He was seeing and hearing Goliath in a different way. When other people saw Goliath as a giant that cannot be defeated, David saw Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. That's what the Bible tells us. Everybody saw that big Goliath. But David said, no, this is an uncircumcised Philistine that I will have to deal with. When everybody saw Goliath as a huge undefeated challenger, undefeated giant, David saw him as a very easy target that can be pulled down. Because David said, okay, if I throw a stone, this is a very big man, I can never miss. That's what David was saying. When everybody saw a big challenge, when everybody saw that, and it was, that, David, that Goliath was an obstacle to their progress, David saw him as an opportunity for advancement, an opportunity to get away from fallen sheep and leading men. That was how David saw it. It was an opportunity for David to become a captain of the host. And if you read the Bible very well, as soon as he killed David, the Bible told her that he was promoted and he became the captain. When everybody saw Goliath as an, as, as an obstacle, he saw it as an opportunity for advancements. When everybody saw Goliath as an insurmountable roadblock, David saw Goliath as a bridge that he needed to cross to get into where he was going. The same problem, the same individual, the same situation, but different interpretation. And the same thing is happening to us also in life. Whatever happens to you is happening to somebody else. Whatever problem you are going through, I can assure you somebody else has the same problem. The only difference is how you respond to it. They were both looking. Everybody was looking at Goliath. But David had a slightly different view. David saw him as a bridge to the future. They were all looking at the same thing, hearing the same thing. They were all, you know, responding in a particular way. But David's attitude was different. David decided to look at it. And the same thing happens in the world. Many of you have heard this particular term where we say it's the cup half full of half empty. Which one is it? It depends on what you're looking at. It depends on how you look at it. Your cup can be half full or your cup can be half empty. You can look at the same situation and say, I will beat this situation. Or you can look at the same situation and say, ah, this situation is what is going to kill me. And that's what people say. So it's the way you look. David's attitude was the difference that made a difference at that camp. David's attitude was what made the difference in the way he related to Goliath. David's attitude was the difference that brought the victory to the army of the children of Israel. And the question is, when we say attitude, what are we talking about? What is an attitude? An attitude is not, yeah, yeah, talking to me. That's, that's part of it too. But what is an attitude? Okay. An attitude is your inward feelings that you express in your behavior. If you are not happy inside, it will be reflected in the way you behave. If you are happy inside, it will be reflected in the way you behave. If you are angry inside, it will be reflected in the way you behave. If you are, you know, if you are dissatisfied with something, it will be reflected in the way you behave. My family used to tell me that I'm one of the very few people, I'm, I'm an individual that I cannot hide my feelings. If I'm pissed at something, you can see it all over my face. You know, right now that we are becoming pastor, we're trying to make it a little more easier. But, <laughs> but normally if I don't like something, all you have to do is look at my face, you can tell. But an attitude 
is an inward feeling expressed by your behavior. Your attitude is a settled way of thinking. The way you think, the way you feel about something, about somebody, typically the one that is reflected in your in a person's behavior is the way you think. Your attitude is just your normal behavior, your normal way of thinking. You look at something, before anybody says something, you are already, already defensive. Before anybody says something, you are already trying to make an excuse. If that is the way you react to things. That is what is referred to as an attitude. Your attitude is the mirror of your mind, what is going on in your mind. Many of us cannot see into your mind, but we can see the way you behave. So your attitude is what reflects your thinking. It's what tells us what is going on inside of you. And the question is, why is this particular attitude important? Why is it important for a young person to have a good attitude? Why is it important for a man, for a grown adult to have a good attitude? Why is it important for us as a church and for us as a believer to have a good attitude? The first reason why attitude is important is because it determines who you are. When people like, when people look at you and they want to like you or they want to relate with you, they don't have any magic wand. They just look at you. And they say, this is the person I like. This is the person I want to relate with. Why? Because your attitude makes you who you are. If you are a joyful person, it's because something is joyful inside of you. If you are a sad person, it's because there's sadness going on inside of you. If there is something that is bothering you and you leave it out, people see that and they relate to you. So your attitude is important because it is who you are. Number two, your attitude is important because it is how you approach life. How you approach life. If you approach life, that life is a possibility. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If that is the way you approach life, people will see it and people will gravitate around you. But if everything about life for you is, oh, things are difficult, everybody is bad, life is wicked, everything. If that is the way you see life, people will see it. If you are a pessimistic kind of person, people will see it. So your attitude is important because it is the way you approach life. Number three, your attitude is important because it affects your relationship with people. How many of us know people who like to complain a lot? You know somebody who likes to complain a lot. How many of us like to sit in the company of those kind of people? You wake up in the morning and that's the person you want to sit with. The man who is always complaining. The man who always tells you there's something bad. If you tell them that you want to do something, ah, you will never make it. That's the first thing that comes out. How many of us want to enjoy the company of such people? No way. So your attitude affects your relationship. If you want to have a good relationship with people, you want people to be closer to you, fix your attitude. If you are always complaining, people will not come. If you are always putting people down, they will not come. If you are always, you know, if you are always tearing down, you are always seeing the bad thing in every situation, nobody wants to be around you. And then you wonder why I don't have friends. You don't have friends because you have a nasty attitude. It's a very simple. Not only that, why is your attitude important? Your attitude is important because it determines your success in life. It determines your success in life. Have you know, do you know anybody who appears to be anything they touch, everybody seems to like them. Everywhere they go, people always want to be around them. Why? Why is it that they might not be the best person in the class? They might not be the best person in the place of work. They might not be the best person who knows everything. But people want to be around them. Why? Because people just love to be around them. It's not happening by accident. Okay? It is not by accident. It is their attitude. It's the things that they do. The way they relate. The way they carry themselves, the way they comport with people, the way they interact with other people, the way they deposit goodness into the life of other people. That is why people want to be around them. You don't want to be around somebody who tells them, oh man, you are ugly. You are ugly. <laughs> you give people nightmare. You don't want somebody who, every time they see you, say, ah, why are you dressed like that? No, why you behave like that? But you want to be around someone and say, man, you are looking spiffy. 
You are looking good. It's not that they give you unnecessary flattery, but they are honest people. They always want to find a way to build you up. They tell you how far you will go in life. Your success in life is a function of your attitude. And why is your attitude important? Because your future depends upon it. Because if you are looking at the future as an impossible task, I tell you, you will not be able to do it. But if you see the future as something that is possible, if you see the future as something that can be achieved, then life becomes easy for you. It doesn't mean you are not going to have problems. It means that you are going to have the strength to overcome whatever problem life throws at you. That is why attitude is important. So seeing the importance of attitude, how come some people just have this rotten, negative, bad attitude? Why? Where does the attitude come from? Where does this bad, negative attitude, where does it come from? Number one, it comes as a result of the fall of man. Bible have said, Bible said that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It is a product of our fallen nature. That's why the Bible says that God saw the wickedness in the, of, of man that he was great on earth. And, his, and every imagination of his heart was evil continually. That is where it came from. We have all sinned. That's why we have this nasty attitude. I can tell you even the sweetest person have the potential, have the tendency to be very, very nasty. And that's why you see some people, they, you can talk to them, they have good things. You All of a sudden, when they flip, they begin to say some things you will never believe will come out of their mouth. That's because they have the nature of man that is falling. Where does bad attitude come from? Bad attitude comes from what is called conditioning. Conditioning. The Bible says the heart, you know, for as it thinks in the heart, so it is. When you are, when you are filled, when you have exposed yourself to all these negative things, you expose yourself to negative attitude, you know, expose yourself to negative behavior, you will find out that your heart becomes conditioned to those particular negative things. And the only way you know how to talk is to what? Is to talk rubbish to people. And that's why you see when you grow up in certain area of town, or you grow up with a particular group of people, the only language that comes out of their mouth is cussing. Right? And that's why they always use the F word like no man business. Because that's what they are used to. That is what they know. That is how their hearts have been conditioned. That is why they, that is how they talk to each other. They are always very aggressive. People talk to them, they don't know how to relax. It's because their hearts have been conditioned to react like that. Where does bad attitude come from? Attitude, bad attitude come from, is fostered by an abusive environment. If you grew up in an environment where somebody's always saw, you know, don't saw a logo, you know, they just keep hitting your head. If you grew up in the African house, the only way they know how to correct you to give you, you know, you, have you ever had a knock on your head before? Uh, most of you are Americans, so you don't know. But those of us who grew up in Africa, when they give you a knock on your head, every wire that has been loose, that has been making you behave anyhow, all those wires will be connected quick, quick. When you get a knock on your head, everything will fall in place, straight. So when you grow up in an abusive environment, in a place where when you wake up in the morning, the first thing your mother says to you is to swear and say you will never make it. Or your father wakes up in the morning, takes his belt and whip the daylight out of you. If that is the only relationship you know, or you are in a relationship with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and the only thing they do is to cheat on you or to steal your money or to or do all those bad things that make life not good for you, you will find out that you will wake up and you will begin to grow with an abusive attitude. So abusive attitude is fostered. Sorry, a, a bad, a negative attitude is fostered in an abusive environment. Number four, a, a negative attitude is strengthened by permissive behavior. Permissive behavior, you see a child misbehaving, you don't tell that child that is wrong. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he will go. It says, when he grow up, he will not depart from it. In other words, a child is telling an elder, shut up. And you don't tell them to keep your mouth shut. You don't talk to elders like that. 
Somebody does not, a little child does not know how to share. You never tell them, you never train them to share things. You never train them to be to be selfless. You never train them to be generous. You never train them to behave. You never train them to respect authority. When you never train them like that, they will grow up with a negative attitude and the police is going to be the one to train them. If you don't train the child at home and tell them the things that they need to know, if you don't train them in a better, proper way, if you don't teach them positive attitude, positive way of looking at life, positive way of relating to people, and they walk about as if their head is not correct, you will find out that the police will help their head to be correct. When they whip them back into spirit and put them at the back of the chair, put them at the back of that truck, and they drive them to that police station where they knock their head up and down, they will learn the common sense that they refuse to learn. Bad attitude, negative attitude is strengthened by permissive behavior. When you tell a child that is misbehaving that it's okay, it's fine. Oh, boys will be boys. Oh, girls will be girls. Oh, don't worry. You're so sweet, precious. You're so wonderful. You don't tell them that this is foolishness. You don't tell them that people don't do this kind of things. A child doesn't want to go to school. Say, ah, he doesn't want to go to school. The tomorrow is going to end up in a place he doesn't want to be. When they begin to indulge in certain behavior that is going to destroy them, and you refuse to tell them, they will end up having an attitude that will destroy their lives. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.